Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have Mr. Smooth, the storyteller himself. It's the one and only Mr. Justin Solis from my very own PAVE. Nick, why should people listen? One of the most frustrating things as a salesperson is when your call falls off track and gets into the weeds, or your deal falls off track and gets into the weeds. And I think Justin does a really great job keeping calls on track and on focus and keeping your deal from going all over the place where you've done 432 demos to all sorts of random people or you don't even know where you're trying to get to in your deal. Justin does a very good job mapping the path and then navigating to the end destination. And three, two, one, welcome to the end destination. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes.
All right, Justin, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. So number one is use bucket questions and typically statements uh, to get your prospect to be able to go with deeper on the problems, right? So oftentimes, like I'll start a call and I'll ask, hey, why are you on this call? And they'll give me something super surface level, like we want to scale our systems more effectively. So a really great way to prod at that without seeming like, you know, you're in, doing the great inquisition is just to say, Hey, like typically when folks tell me that they're looking to scale, either they've got something that happened that led them to realize that their systems don't work today, or they just got some extra time on their hands. Which camp do you fall in? And then whether I've guessed right or wrong, it's going to force them to actually go deeper on the problem and help me get more information in that discovery. Very nice. What's number two? So number two is make up a story bank for the product features that are the real stars of your product. So oftentimes, a lot of the things that you're going to do, a lot of other products will do as well. So what's important is to understand what are the things that differentiate you and what are the things that you learn from your discovery that are going to matter to your prospect. And then when you're telling them, talking about those things to accentuate them, you want to tell stories. And oftentimes, it's difficult to think about stories on the fly. And so to help yourself... Go through and figure out what are the stories that you can use that correlate to each of those specific different features or things that you want to call out so that you've got a bank of stories that you can weave together. Beautiful. Round us out, Justin. What's number three? Know who you want to speak with beforehand. This is a lesson that I learned the hard way. A lot of times prepping for calls, I might have an idea of like who's on the call with me and what they do, or maybe just their boss. But I like to know the entire hierarchy of this team and the adjacent teams as well and know everyone's names going into the call. And then when relevant problems come up in discovery or in the demo, I might even name drop that person, right? So that way I'm weaving them into the conversation well before we get to the end. And by the time I'm asking for their involvement, we're going to be talking about them by name already instead of trying to like say, hey, can you bring in your boss or manager to this at the end? So Justin, let's go back to number two. A lot of times when you see reps demoing for the first time, they demo in features or in clicks or in buttons. They demo in terms of you can see all of this manager's direct reports or you can add all of these fields to a dashboard. How should you be describing or cutting up your demo instead that makes it a little bit more real for the prospect? And if you want, you can use an example if it's easier. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, at Pave, we have a number of different user profiles that you can log into when you're demoing. And the first thing that I do when I get into the demo is I set the scene. I am looking at this environment from the perspective of Yana Douglas. She is the CTO of this fictional organization. And then I'm going to start talking about what she sees. And I'm going to talk about what she cares about. Or, hey, uh, you've probably seen this problem before, right? And so what I can start doing is basically showing everything from the perspective of a specific user. And when you know the product well and you know the pains from discovery, you can pause at certain areas of your story and that will invite them to tell their own stories, right? And so talking about how they would use it or talking about their perspectives in previous scenarios. Justin, you were talking about you're starting this demo by orienting yourself as Yana Douglas, but then you're weaving in what you learned in discovery and trying to also create space for them to share their own stories. Can you talk about how you weave in what they shared in discovery into your demo talk tracks? Yeah. So generally what I'll do is going into that demo call, I have like some solid bullet points. In fact, something that we do often at PAVE is before we even start the demo is going over 
the main pain points that I've discovered and then opening up the room for other people to elaborate on those. And so I've got those bullet points to the side. And so in my head, just because I know the product well, I know where each one of those pains corresponds to a specific product feature. For example, when people talk about they don't have any insight into historical pay, I'll start telling my story from Yana Douglas. And right when I get to the part where we can show the entire history of someone's compensation, not just their last comp adjustment, I'm going to pause here and I'm going to say, hey, Susan, you mentioned that this is something that you really have difficulty with today. Tell me again how that works now. Okay, great. And so this is how it would look in PAVE. You know what I mean? And so that way we're really just twisting the knife. And I'll try to do that periodically throughout the demo and try to make sure that I'm addressing each person who said what they said. So I'll generally have the pain that was given and who said it so that I can weave it back in. So what you're doing is you have these standardized stories and these standardized demo flows that you identified at the beginning where you know if you show historical pay or if you're showing dashboards or what have you, you have your stock story for that. But then what you're doing is you're using the questions to insert what you learn in discovery. So you're giving your own stock story, but then you're saying, by the way, on our last call, you mentioned that that story that I just told was something that was pretty similar to what your experience. How does this align with the solution that you had in mind? And that's how you're getting your stories to match up with their stories. Is that correct? Exactly. Right. And stories come in a few different flavors. You have what I just described, which is like me actually in the product coming from the user perspective. Another really powerful thing to do, particularly when you're trying to highlight a pain that maybe a certain prospect in the room doesn't see, is to actually talk about an end user perspective, right? So I'm lucky at PAVE that like when we sell the total rewards portal, the end user is me. I am an employee who needs to understand their comp. And so oftentimes when I'm a see something, I may not realize how prevalent the lack of understanding around equity is within my organization. And so I might see something that highlights how we can explain equity and think this is not a problem. So what I'll do is I'll tell a story from my perspective. Uh, Armand knows the story very well. I used to work at Segment. And when I worked there, I left for a 20K base bump just before I hit my, my cliff. And then a few months later, they were acquired by Twilio. I missed out on a six-figure payday. And I never even occurred to me as a reason to stay. Right. And so by being able to explain the pain from the end user, it really illuminates the fact that like, wow, there's probably a whole class of people in my organization I've never thought of that are quitting and leaving. And I had no idea why. So Justin, so far you've told some stories, you've asked some questions to understand if what you're showing is resonating. And sometimes they'll give you the answer that's like, oh yeah, it totally is. And they'll share a story. But then other times they'll be like, oh yeah, this is, but can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And then all of a sudden they start to drag you less into, does this solve my problem? And more into can I make sure that it perfectly fits into the box? And so how do you keep people on that first demo out of the weeds and focused on, yes, I can solve your problem before you do the whole technical validation thing? For sure. I'd say there's a couple of ways that this can go. My first gut reaction when someone tries to take me into the weeds is I want to understand why is this important to you? Because very often when someone tells you why they want to configure something a certain way, particularly with our product, where we do a lot of the things that happen in spreadsheets, but the way that you skin the cat is vastly different. And so understanding like what that you're looking to achieve and then rewinding and saying, see that all the time. That makes total sense that you want to make that happen. Here's how that actually works in paid. Way easier, huh? And so that is the best case scenario. As we all know, that doesn't always work that way. Sometimes people don't even know why. They just want to see it for whatever reason. And so then uh, I'll take it another way, which is I will say, 
hey, you know what? That's a really great question. Honestly, definitely something that I'm going to write a note of, minimize the screen, hear the click clack so they know I'm writing it down and say, let's go ahead and make sure that we talk about this with our sales engineer on the next call. Or I will humble myself and say, you know what? I've never gotten that question before. That is like a highly technical question. And I'm going to definitely save that for when we have our sales engineer on this call. So make them feel like a genius or let them know that like, hey, this is going to be something we'll talk about in the next call to get them to go to the next call. Or best case scenario is like find out what the real reason and actually show them there's other ways of thinking about this. So what you're doing when they ask you for like this really niche situation, what you're not doing is trying to like address it or jerry-rig your product to do the weird thing that they're asking what you are doing is you're saying, like, what's the intent of what you're trying to solve for? What's the outcome that you're looking here? Because your product likely has a way to help with it. It might not be the specific path that they suggested, because you're keeping in mind that they have a limited view of the world. But when you understand where they're trying to get to, you're then able to say, well, we don't do it the way that you asked, but we actually do help with that problem. Here's how we do it. I've often found that like, Sometimes the people who keep bringing those questions up again and again and again, like, I don't want to be insulting to anybody, but like, sometimes the people that you're demoing to are just on different paces. Like if somebody was showing a demo to me and Armand, I would get it right away. And he might have 572 different questions. Like in that scenario, when the people you're talking to just like, they're going at different paces, how do you handle a situation like that? Because you don't want to bore the person who's like getting to it faster, but you also don't want to neglect the other person. I think oftentimes it has to do with level setting, right? Like when I'm in that scenario where I have like an above the line person who's their needs are being met, they're seeing what's happening. And I have this below the line person who's trying to dig us back into the weeds. I say, look, like we've got 30 minutes left on the clock in the interest of time. Like I would love to follow up with you, these things asynchronously. And I'm, I'm sure there's actually a million more technical questions that you're going to have. And what I would love is if you can just put those in writing for me and I'm going to follow up with you on those, but I want to make sure that we're able to get through all the other things that you said were important, dangle one of those things that then, so we can move on to the next topic. And then everyone understands I'm not being rude. It's in the best interest of everyone here because these are things that you want to see and I want to show you. I think one other thing that I've seen that works well in this scenario is a lot of people, they almost try to put the hush on the technical people. And it actually frustrates them and those people end up being the deal blockers. But I find that if you actually lean into those people and compliment them and say, holy cow, you know your stuff on comp. Today is really going to be the high level demo. What I'd love to do is, you know your stuff. Can I put you with someone who can really level and like get on your level because you're like way more technical than most people that we talk to. And I want to make sure that you feel comfortable with this. And I just know we're not going to get to that level today. And so instead of it being this thing, like you're asking too many in the weeds questions, et cetera, you can actually lean into it and compliment them on the fact that they're getting in the weeds and use that to push them onto a separate call entirely. So Justin, let's say that you get to the end of this call and it's been an awesome demo. They're going back and forth on the stories. They're smiling, they're laughing, they're crying, they're with you the whole way. You eventually stop the screen share. What do you do once you stop the screen share to wrap this call up? So I normally end the screen share and I'd say like, you know, love to hear what everybody thought, you know, and maybe bring up a few specific things. Right. And then essentially once I get that buy-in that it's a yes, my goal from here is to find out, okay, like, do you want to buy pave? We've answered that question. How do you want to buy pave? And when do you want to buy pave? Right. And that's essentially it. You can't ask those questions just outright like that, but essentially, you know, trying to understand where do we go from here? So let's break that down a little bit more. If we start with that first question, my guess is you're not, you're not just asking, do you want to buy? When do you want to buy? How, how do you buy? Right. <laughs> let's talk yeah. about that first question of, 
do you want to buy pave? You stop the screen share. What do you do to suss out if this is a yes, we would like to move forward or not? Yeah, for sure. So uh, generally uh, in the beginning of the call during the agenda, one of the things that I do is set them up for this one of two ways scenario. So at the end of this call, typically you're going to feel like, hey, we love Pave. We want to continue this conversation or this isn't for us right now. Please be transparent with me. My feelings won't be hurt either way. So they're getting ready for this question to come. I turn off the demo and then I'm going to say basically like, look, I know that you mentioned X was important. We kind of covered that. Y was important to you, Susie. I'm curious, like after you've had a chance to now see it in action, what are your thoughts? So assuming that they say, you know, we feel pretty good about it. You know, we definitely need to probably circle back as a team and let you know how we're feeling. Like, how do you navigate the rest of the conversation from there? Would they give you like a, we feel good, but I, I rarely have a customer who says, yep, send me the contract today. So what I'll do is if I'm getting kind of a, a mild yes, I'm going to try to test that yes by seeing, are you willing to tell me more about how you're going to buy? So, and then what I'll generally do too, is I'll use timeline for that, right? So my next question is, when do you want to buy? So, okay, great. I definitely want to give you guys some time to think. I know that you mentioned you have a merit cycle coming up. When does that happen? Mm. Okay. It happens in 12 weeks. Our implementation typically takes about eight to 12 weeks. And I certainly don't want to put the pressure on you, but if this is something that you do want to explore as a solution for this upcoming cycle, we would probably at least want to get started on legal and security, right? And so seeing how they react to that question is really going to be indicative of whether or not they're real, right? And so if they're like, yep, we definitely want to talk internally, but let's talk more about that legal and security. I know that it's not a, a lukewarm yes. They're posturing more than likely and that they're pretty into it. Right. And when you say legal and security, you're referring to the red line process, right? Their attorneys reviewing your contract and then security, making sure that you have all the compliance and stuff. And so their data is not going to get strewn onto the internet. Can you talk me through how you will articulate what those processes look like? Because I imagine you're doing some intentional stuff. You're not just saying, yep, we got to do legal and security. So the first thing that I'm going to do is once again, reiterate the timeline that's necessary, right? And so that's about 12 weeks out. Candidly, we can probably get it done more quickly, but I want to focus on what's important to them. So one thing I'll often ask is like, hey, like, you know, how important is training to you, right? Like I'll often say the difference between an eight-week implementation and a 12-week implementation is how prepared you are. And so I'll know where they have some gaps. Or like, I know you mentioned your bands aren't fully built out yet. Or I know you mentioned that your comp philosophy is kind of in flux. With that being said, I would want you to have the full 12 weeks. And so getting them to align on the timeline and why, why it's in their best interest to align with that timeline and get started sooner. And then the next piece is understanding like, all right, if we want to get this done, this is the day we need to sign by. So between now and signature, we have three weeks. From my understanding, there's generally some sort of legal review that takes place. And then some companies have a procurement process. Tell me more about how that works for you, right? And I try to get them to tell me how long legal takes. And sometimes people will say, all right, you know, legal's pretty quick. Always be wary of that. And then some people say, just send us your stuff and we'll go from there, right? And some people have documents they need us to fill out. So just figuring out and navigating, first of all, how good they are at this process, how familiar they are with it. So I know how much guiding I need to do, and then also understanding what are the steps and timelines internally and aligning on to make sure we can get them all done in that three weeks for that signature date. First of all, I love what you're doing around, you're saying, look, we can do an eight-week implementation, but the difference between an eight and a 12-week implementation is how ready you're going to be when it's go live. And what you're doing is you're making it seem like, yes, we can get there just so you don't like totally wash yourself out of a deal in case they have to do it in eight weeks. You're getting acceleration on their side so that they know that when they go live, they're going to have a good experience as opposed to a discount or something that incentivizes you. You mentioned something that I want to go back to, which is 
you'll ask about legal and security, which needs to happen before signature, obviously. And sometimes there's a red flag where someone will say, oh, it'll be quick. When someone says, oh yeah, it shouldn't be too bad. Legal and security, not too shabby. What do you do to unpack that to figure out if it's actually not going to be bad or not? Yeah, but like, awesome. Really great to hear that. Like, how long did it take the last time you bought some software? Uh, right. And that will kind of put them back on their heels. If they actually buy software all the time, then they'll say, oh, we bought X and Y and took this amount of time. Uh, where if they're like, oh, well, actually, I'm not really sure exactly how long it took. Then I'll take the reins and said, look, if we really want to make that timeline, um, and this is where we set up the red line deadline. I say, I'm going to get these documents over to you. My legal team works really fast. They can normally turn things around the same day. Um, I imagine there's probably going to be at least two or three back and forths here. And if it's going to be more than that, we're going to want to get on a call, right? And so let's imagine that you take four days from now, we turn around the next day, another four days, but walk it backwards, explain the timeline and explain why, all right, I'm going to give you these documents. Can we agree that you're going to have them back by this date because of all the stuff we just outlined? So I will tell them about the potential pitfalls and let them know, hey, that may not be the case with you, but it's all together possible, right? And so what you're doing in this case is you're not just putting timelines to a signature date. You're not even putting a timeline to legal. You're putting a timeline to first cuts back from legal, especially if you feel like someone doesn't know how to manage a legal process. Because these enterprise legal processes, sometimes they'll take a month, they'll take multiple months. And if you just say, great, we need to have legal done by the end of the month, what will happen is you will get the first cuts back of your red lines on the 29th day. And that's where your deal starts to slip. Justin, the last thing that I want to hit on here is, let's say that we now have this timeline in place. You talked about then teaching them how to buy. And I'm curious, how do you go about justifying the ask to do this demonstration with power now, knowing that this is a champion who might want to carry the torch all the way to the finish line internally on their own? Yeah, really good question. So as I'm sure many listeners can attest to, a lot of the decision making as of late has been consolidated to finance because they need to approve almost everything, right? So when I first started selling at PAVE, we never talked to CFOs and now no deal happens without talking to them. And so I am very cognizant of the fact that this needs to happen. And so what I want to do is make it about our best interest. Once they have already given me the yes, I know that they want PAVE. I'm going to say like, look, in these trying economic times, I've seen it happen many times where everyone loves it. And at the end of the day, the CFO, they're probably not going to care about this, right? Because in their mind, all you're doing is trying to get yourself out of spreadsheets. But you and I, we know that there's so many deeper problems that a finance person may not understand, right? And so help me like understand like how involved are they in this process or help me understand like, is that the case with you? And then they'll let me know that, yes, they are going to have to sign off. And I say, look, I totally understand like CFOs are super busy. You may not want to loop them in. But what I've seen is that like when they actually understand what this product does, it's going to help tremendously with their perception of it. Right. And so try to help them understand the why behind it and also let them know that like I get it. I've seen this and I want to make sure that you're going to get what you want. Right. And I'm very like totally up to you kind of a vibe. Right. And they'll generally be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it does. It's absolutely killer that you're getting on the same side of the table and you're making it, I don't want to call it an us versus them thing, but you're almost pulling your prospect aside and you're like, hey, between you and me, like, I know this is a big problem, but I know the battle you're going to have to face, not with me on the pricing or whatever, but you're going to have to face a battle internally to justify this to finance. And the best way to fight that battle is for them to see exactly what you saw, not the secondhand version of that. And so Justin, let's say that you are 
going into that meeting with finance, I'm curious, what does your prep process look like with your champion if they've agreed to that meeting with finance? Yeah. So we call this the old champion sandwich, right? So once we've got that demo with the finance person, I'm going to schedule some time with my champion prior to that. And I'm going to ask them to go and like feel this out internally, have some conversations. And then you and I are going to connect prior to the big demo and help me understand what are the major bullet points that they care about. And I always make it about like, I want to make sure you look good. I know you're putting you know your, your uh, skin on the line here. So let's meet up after you chat with them, help me understand what they care about. And then we're going to talk about the bullet points that that finance person cares about. I'm going to push them sometimes too, because sometimes you'll have people that will just tell you to show the exact same stuff you showed me. And then I might say something like, hey, look, I know why you care about doing the bonus calculation. Like, why does such and such care about that, right? And once we get to like the real like top two or three points, I'm going to review, all right, here's what you saw last time. Here's what I'm going to show. I'm going to highlight these things. How does that sound? And then even better, I'm going to have my champion do the intro to the demo for me when we get on with the CFO and then engage my champion and let them know, hey, I want you to answer this. You know, if this person asked this, like, you know why, can you jump in here? So coaching them to be active and involved and help to make the case for me. So in the beginning of that big demo with the CFO, you're having your champion sort of do the intro and kick off why they're bringing this thing in and having the CFO look at it. Are you doing anything during that CFO demo to keep your champion being vocal, aka get others in the room to sell for you? Yeah. So similar to like how I did in the previous demo where I've got those bullet points and the names next to them, if those people are in the room and those pains also align with the pains of the CFO, then I'm going to do that same tactic where I'm going to tell a story, call on that person and be like, didn't you mention that this happened to you? And then get them to reiterate that story too and make sure that the CFO knows I'm not just blowing smoke, but this is really happening in your org. How do you end the meeting with the CFO? Do you ask them, do you want to buy PAVE? Normally at this point, we've already know that like everyone else wants to buy PAVE. So pretty much about dollars and cents at that point, right? So I will generally ask a similar question. Everyone in the room is going to be like, yes, we want it. CFO will generally say, how much does it cost? And now we're transitioning to the next piece of the conversation, which is the negotiation. I'm curious, how do you, if at all, get inside baseball from your champion on how that negotiation will typically go with finance? Normally, by this point in the conversation, we already know whether they have budget allocated or not or what the budget situation is. So something that I might ask in the prep is like, what's your CFO like? What's their vibe like? You know what I mean? Are they someone who's going to try and cut me low? And if you built good rapport with your champion, it really does become kind of like an us versus them thing. I've had champions like tell me terrible things about their CFO and tell me exactly what number they're going to come in at and exactly what number they've really got. And so if you've done a good job building rapport and the champion genuinely wants the product, um, then they'll they'll tell you that kind of stuff. So getting whatever insights I can into their personality. Like right now, I'm with a CFO who's literally told me, if you try to push me to a timeline, I'm going to drag my feet, right? So the way I talk to him is totally different than I will talk to somebody who's like, you know, just tell me the price and sign, right? And there's two totally different ends of the spectrum. How do you respond to that CFO said, if you try to hold me to the timeline, I'm going <laughs> to get angry at you? I would say you, I, the timeline isn't mine, actually. Uh, this is a timeline that has to do with your launch date, right? And so if that launch date isn't as important as I have perceived previously, please let me know. I'm happy we can push this up further. You know what I mean? So making sure we rely on like, why did we agree on this timeline in the first place? This isn't me trying to get a check. It's not commission breath. It's your deadline. We can move it if you want. 
I mean, it's brilliant what you're doing. This is part of the reason why anytime you give the customer a deadline for action you're asking them to take, it must be tied to something that is in their favor. And most sellers will do some weird thing with price. And I guess that's technically in the buyer's favor. They get a better deal if they sign by X date. But it is so much more compelling when you say, hey, the reason you're doing this is because of this big thing that's coming up. And if you don't take action by this date, like, yeah, I'm going to be bummed, but your team is going to deal with all of this headache and frustration and maybe even tears. And so like you're aligned with what's in their best interest, not some arbitrary date on the calendar. Exactly. Yeah. And throughout the whole process, you're constantly trying to build that ammunition. So by the time you get to that final boss and you're having that conversation, you should have so much in the coffers that you can bring up as to why you need to have this timeline or this price. Well, it helps keep momentum. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Justin, sort of around momentum was like one of the big areas that I see salespeople lose momentum and end up dragging their deals out is they don't get next steps on the calendar, right? They finish a meeting with a customer and they say, yeah, this seems pretty cool. Like I'm going to go chat with the team and like, I'll, I'll send you an email. Don't worry about it. What do you do in a scenario like that to make sure that you don't drop the ball on keeping the momentum in the deal? Yeah, for sure. So it depends. Like if they come at me and they're like really hard about not wanting to book it, I won't push it. If they're kind of like saying, oh, I'm not sure. Then I'll say, you know what? Like, how does this time work? And we can put it down and then you can reschedule it if you need be. Right. I'm just going to toss a placeholder down and then you can reschedule it using Chili Piper for a time that works for you. The moment that they've invited the other people and everyone's accepted, I make sure I delete placeholder from the title. Now it's an official meeting. Right. So that's one really good way to do it. Um, sometimes if, you know, and this one is, it's a little more controversial, frankly. So I don't know if everyone should heed this advice, but it's worked for me in the past, you know, with the follow-up email, I'm going to go ahead and CC the person that's their boss. And then when I set up that follow-up call, I'm going to go ahead and invite them as optional. Right. Um, and so sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't, sometimes I get an earful, but more often than not, it works in my favor. So. Well, Justin, we're running out of time here. The clock is a ticking and I got to keep momentum on the episode and move us to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. And now I'm going to ask you about what shouldn't. And so the last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I would say this is the one I chose because it's my worst habit and one that I'm finally getting better at seven years into my career. But I'd say the big mistake a lot of salespeople make is they are way too nice. And sometimes it feels like you're doing your best to help the prospect. But sometimes when you are a pushover, it turns you from a consultant into an order taker and you lose respect. Right. And so challenge your prospect when your gut tells you, you know, the market trends you speak with practitioners and experts every day, they go to conferences and pay to have an experience that you have on a weekly basis. You are talking to their competition. You are an expert in your own right. Don't be afraid to speak up where you feel like it's necessary and don't be afraid to challenge where you feel like it's necessary. Spectacular. Justin, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.
Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Justin Solis include number one, you should start your demos by setting the scene. In other words, orient me as to who am I in this demo and what am I doing in my day? Number two, if you get a mild yes at the end of the demo that says, yeah, it could be interesting. I want to debrief internally. You can use timeline and sales process steps to test them and see if they're actually willing to do work to take a step forward. Number three, when you make the ask for power, make it an us versus them thing. In other words, what you should do is you should say, look, I've seen too many deals in this economy get killed because they think you're trying to solve a you problem, but you and I know there's a bigger problem. And the best way to prove that is by putting this in front of them directly. And then lastly, number four, align the timeline to close with their best interest, not your best interest. In other words, get them excited about the fact that more time to implement is going to mean a much better customer experience for them. All right, Nick, how could people help us out? Well, you don't have to help us out this week. Help yourselves out this week. One of the things Justin talked about in the beginning of the episode was the idea of a story bank, where you are mapping stories to the different features and elements of the thing that you solve. And I don't know about you, I have a certain amount of stories in my head, but I know for a fact that if I collaborated with my teammates, we would have more stories that we could all pull on and sell more effectively. And so if you listen to this episode, you might consider sharing it with some of your sales colleagues and saying, hey, maybe we should build a team story bank. That's all I got for you all. See you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.